Hello, my name is Larry Hiles. I'm the preaching minister at the Milford Church of Christ. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this message. Please feel free to share it with friends. Also, if it's impacted your life in any way, reach out to us and let us know how. If you live in the Centerburg or Mount Vernon area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 3648 Johnstown Road in Centerburg, Ohio. We look forward to the opportunity of meeting you. So perhaps you already have your Bibles opened up there to Ephesians chapter 4. Last week, I started a, a two-part sermon, so it's a, really one sermon in two different parts because I didn't feel like you wanted to be here for three hours, uh, so, and um, we started that, that sermon based upon this idea, who you are impacts how you act, right? A three-year-old Johnny falls down on the sidewalk, and he's running out to greet his father who just pulled into the driveway. Johnny's tired and hungry, and to top things off, his sister Susie just pushed, pushed him down, and so he's crying uncontrollably by the time he gets to his father, and his father picks him up and says, now, now, you're a big boy. Act like one. So who Johnny was, a big boy, means that he should act like one and he shouldn't cry needlessly. And, and what we focused on last week was uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And the, the point we made is to live like a disciple means that you're going to fight for the unity of the body of Christ. And, and just for a quick review, uh, we're united by our divine calling, right? We're, we're called to become like Jesus, to follow Jesus and become like him. We're called to join the church and be a part of the mission that's in the body of Christ. We're called to chase holiness in this Christian walk. It's an idea of what we're called to. We're also united by our Christ-like conduct. Uh, when we follow Jesus, it should change the way we act, right? And, and, and Paul, in that passage of Scripture, he used those characteristics of, of humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. And, and we learned the idea and the reality that the best way to live this out is really to walk by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, because when we have God's Holy Spirit guiding us, these things are going to be evident in our lives. But we're also united by that gospel confession where Paul gave that list of ones. And it's our faith in the gospel of Christ that keeps us united. And, and we have this responsibility. This is one of the things that I pointed out last week. And, and interestingly enough, we're going to see the other end of this in this message later. But we have this responsibility. You have this responsibility. Each time somebody climbs the steps of this pulpit or they sit down in a classroom in front of you and open up the Bible that those ones, that that gospel confession, that we make is the very glue that holds us together. And, and if I or anybody else or, or a Bible teacher opens up the Bible and begins to teach anything other than what God's Word says, and, uh, maybe just as much as the Apostle Paul said to the church in Galatia, that's a, a anathema. It's a, it's a curse. And so, so we're united by these things. And today, our focal point is going to be this. If we're going to stay united, what needs to happen in the body of Christ is that each of us need to have an understanding of the gift that God has given us. And not only do we need to have an understanding of that gift, here's the key to this gift, right? Then, then we have to use it, right? If we just understand what we have without using it, it's just a waste, right? I'm reminded, I know I've told the story of the, of the woman in the hills of West Virginia uh, when electricity just ran through. And so the electric company was monitoring the bills and they go up and knock on the woman's door and they say, excuse me, ma'am, is everything okay with your electricity? And she says, well, yes, it is. Well, we noticed that your bill is really low. And she said, well, here's what I do. Each night I turn my lights on to light my candles and then I turn the lights off. Right? She, she had the power available to her, but she wasn't using it. And, and so often in the body of Christ, I think each of us have this 
gift that's given to us and, and it goes unused. And, and when that gift goes unused, then we're not living like Christ would have us. And so from our passage of scripture this morning, uh, there are three reasons that we must use the gift that's given to us. And the first one is this, it's because of the giver of that gift. Uh, Verse seven in chapter four, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Well, what does God's word mean here with the word grace. And, and sometimes when we hear this word, we, we automatically associate, that, associate the word grace every time it's used in scripture with salvation. We know we're saved by grace through faith and, and it's not of our own. We'll see the passage again here in a little bit. But, but here when Paul uses this word grace, it's used in connection with having a responsibility. The grace mentioned here is the idea that God, that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit has given each of us, and that term is clear, each one of you. Remember, I've made the point so often that Paul's writing to the church, and now what Paul wants the church and and these people that are gathered together in these house churches with the elder reading that letter out in front of them, what he wants them to understand is, now I got a message for each of you. Each of you has been given a grace, and and Paul understood this fact. Chapter 3, verse 2, if indeed you heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, Chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to proclaim to the Gentiles the good news of the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light for all what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. You see, Paul understood what grace was for. He understood that it's by grace we've been saved through faith. And it's not of ourselves, but a gift of God so that no one can boast. In fact, he also understood that we're God's workmanship, that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should do what? That we should walk in them. So so each of us have this responsibility, right? That the giver of the gift has placed inside each one of us some sort of gift that can be used for the sake of the body of Christ. And, And when you glance back, through the book of Ephesians, God's word has just declared, right? One body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and in all and through all. His word has declared that fact and we all have this foundation intact in all of us. So, but in our text this morning, God's word declares that from that, each of us has been given this gift, this grace to impact the body of Christ. So what does this mean? What what has God called us to? What has he equipped us for? And as I've mentioned a few times, you know what I love about God's word is that, that God's word shares the same message kind of over and over, which makes preaching hard sometimes. You feel like, okay, I feel like I just shared this message. I feel like I just said this. And, and, and there's, there is truth in repetition. But, but as you dig back through God's word, this idea of each person being given a spiritual gift, you can find it in multiple places. Well, like like they're, they're, we'll put those passages up there. And I'm going to read these. And a lot of scripture, but I think it's important for us to grasp this. Back in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. God's word declares, for through the grace given to me, I say to each one of you not to think of uh, more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound thinking as God has allotted each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many 
are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. But having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, rather prophecy in agreement with faith or service in his serving, or if he teaches in his teaching, or he exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Did you see Paul's message? Many members, one body, many gifts, one purpose. That's there for all of us. And did you get the idea? Whatever that gift is, use it. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of ministries, but the same, and the same Lord. And there are a variety of workings, but the same God who works everything in every one. But to each one of us is given the manifestation of the spirit for what is profitable. For one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, and another a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To someone else, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. And to another, workings of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing of spirits. And, and it goes on with these lists. In verse 11 it says, but, but one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Isn't it interesting when we begin to look at these gifts that the same thing keeps coming up. And Paul is declaring in these two passages of scripture that there are gifts. And and sometimes we get focused in on these gifts or these gifts list and we think, well, well, where does mine fit in this passage? And the truth is, is the one we just read there from 1 Corinthians, there, there are supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit that are handed out to certain individuals at that point that the church needed uh, up until the point that, that God's church began and the New Testament was brought about. And so some of those gifts aren't present in our context today, but others are. And here's the key. Whatever that gift is, whatever God has given you, use it. Really, that's the message of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 again. It sounds like a a broken record running over and over. Each one has received a gift. Now use whatever has been given to you, whatever it is. We we shouldn't get caught up in the list, but we should understand that God has gifted each and every single one of us. And what we got to grasp about these spiritual gifts is they're not natural talents and abilities. Sometimes we lean into that thought too much, right? Because some people can naturally sing, right? I'm not one of those people. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal was born seven foot one with great agility. Those are God-given attributes that are given to him, right? Elon Musk seems to be, have been created to make money and, and invent technology. Uh, those are talents and abilities, but the gifts that we've been given by God's Holy Spirit, there's a purpose behind them. That purpose is to impact the body of Christ, and we'll see that at the end of this message. So, so have you ever found yourself asking, what's my gift? Anyone? Anyone? What's my gift? Right? And, and I, there is an easy way to figure out what your gift is. And, and far too often what we do is we, we lean into the intellectual side of trying to figure out what our gift is instead of leaning into that kinetic side of life and just beginning to do something, right? If you want to find out what your gift is, and, and you've heard me say this before, just say yes. Just say yes to whatever God puts in front of you. Right? And if he's calling you to something in the body of Christ and for the sake of his glory, say yes and you'll figure out what your gift is along the way. As I've mentioned before, that's how I've ended up in front of you in ministry here. Lucy walked up to April and I not too long after becoming a Christian and she handed me the, the junior church papers and said, okay, it's somebody else's turn. So, and, and we did that for 
quite a few months, and I realized my gift wasn't children's ministry. <laughs> I'm thankful for those people who are in children's ministry. But, but if you want to find out what your gift is, just simply decide you're going to do what God calls you to do no matter what it is. And you're going to find yourself doing tasks that you never thought would have been possible. I, my friend Joel is a perfect example of this uh, over at Johnstown Christian. I stood up in front of people, and I said, hey, guys, we need somebody to teach junior church. And Joel said, I'll do it. And, and, and he said he'd never done it before in his life, and he was very impactful and effective while doing that over there. If you want to find out what your gift is, just say yes. Because, listen, the giver has given you a gift for a reason. And just to sit upon that gift does nothing for you, and it does nothing for the body of Christ. And so one of the reasons that we need to use our gift is to, because of the giver and who he is, right? So how often do you say yes to the call? When there's a call to show up for a cleaning day, do you find a reason to say yes or no? When there's a need in, at the serving kids ministry, do you look for a reason to say yes or do you avoid eye contact with Russell when he comes asking for questions for people to serve? When there's a call to work at a food pantry, do you find a reason to have your calendar full? Right? Spiritual gifts assessments, they're okay. They're okay in looking for your gift. But I've come to find out that when I take those spiritual gifts assessments, they, they, don't, they don't really pinpoint anything that I feel like that God has placed in me. And so, and so they're a tool, but let's not lean into them. Just say yes. You see, we honor the giver of the gift when we do say yes. And I'm reminded of the parable of the talents, you know, in Matthew chapter 24, uh, 14 and 15, it says, for it is just like a man, talking about the kingdom of heaven, about to go on a journey, who has called his slaves and handed over his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, according, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. And so while on this journey, the slave that was given five talents earned five more, and the slave that was given two talents earned two more. But the slave that was given one talent decided that the, he was going to be afraid of the master, so he took his talent out, and, and he buried it. And when the master returned... Verses 26 through 30. The master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Therefore, you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. You see, God is more concerned about our willingness to use what he has given to us more than he is about equity and equality in what he gives. And see, the giver has given us each a gift according to the measure of faith that's needed for that gift, right? And to some, God has called to preach. To others, God has called to serve. To others, God has called to, to, to witness to neighbors and to, and to serve in every aspect. Some have been given those gifts to serve children. Some have been given the gifts to pick up a microphone and sing. Some have been given the gift of opening up their home uh, and inviting people in. Whatever that gift is, use it, because the giver of the gift is none other than God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the second reason that we need to use the gift that's given to us was the cost of the gift. Uh, look again at verses 8 through 10. And therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And now the expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? And, and he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Is, is that one of those passages that make you just take a deep breath like, 
what is he talking about? <laughs> right? And here's what it is. Back in Psalm chapter 68, uh, David was inspired to write this psalm as a, as a victory psalm for the Jebusite city being captured, which would become um, Jerusalem. And so David writes this psalm, and in particular, verse 19, the verse that he quotes there is about the conquering king going out and, and conquering and then bringing back the spoils of war to give to those who were his subjects. And so what Paul's doing here in this passage of Scripture is he's saying, this, guys, this is exactly what Jesus has done. Jesus, he descended from heaven. He died upon the cross. He was buried in a tomb. He resurrected from that grave. He went, ascended back into heaven. And then he sent down, he sent down gifts from the Holy Spirit to the church. All of this made possible because of the love of God dying in our, for our sins upon the cross in the form of Jesus Christ. This is what happened, and so when we consider the cost of the gift that's been given to us, how could we not use that gift, right? How could we just leave it put upon the shelf? Jesus defeated the power of sin and death, and he fulfilled every promise that's been made in God's word, right? That promise is like all the way back in Genesis, all the way back there after Adam and Eve had fallen in sin. God said, listen, I'm going to put enmity between you talking to the serpent and the seed of the woman. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Jesus fulfilled that promise. Coming, dying, resurrecting, ascending, sending down his spirit uh, for us. This this was all what was supposed to take place. Jesus even told us this in, in John chapter 16. He said, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But, but I go, if I go, I'll send him. And, and the work of the Spirit from there is to convict the world of sin and judgment, to, uh, to guide them into all truth and to glorify Jesus Christ, chapter 14 of John. I will ask the Father, and he will give another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. After a little while, the world no longer is going to see me, but you are going to see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I in you. See, the gift you've been given came at a great cost from the Lord. And as I was considering this point, I was struck by this reality. We either don't consider the cost for our freedom in Christ and the gifts that we've been given, or we ignore them altogether. You see, one truth that uh, we have to remind ourselves is this. The gift that God gives us is not given for the sake of personal fulfillment and glory. The gift that God gives us goes along with what took place on the cross, what took place at the empty tomb, what took place when Jesus ascended and sent his spirit down to us. The gift that was given has always been given for the sake of God's glory, right? And so once we grasp that, there isn't anything that we shouldn't be willing to do. And so when that opportunity to serve comes about, considering the cost that was given for each and every single one of us, I think that we'll have a hard time finding reasons to say no. 
We'll have a hard time finding reasons to say no. And when you go back to that first Peter passage, if you read that later this week, Peter told us that, that gifts are given primarily for two reasons, for teaching and for service. And so when we consider Christ and everything that he's done for us, we will lay our lives aside and whether that gift has been for teaching, maybe a preacher is out here. Well, I'm too old to preach. No, no, you're not. No, you're not. Maybe the next person hosting a grow group is out here. Well, I I don't know how to be hospitable. Just open up your door and trust trust that God will move and do something miraculous. Maybe the next time you hear of a need here in the church and you think, well, I don't want to show up and help throw trash away. Well, Jesus died upon the cross for my sins, and I'm not quite sure where I'm supposed to be serving yet, so maybe it'll start right there. So whatever it is, when you consider the cost of the the gift that's been given to us, it caused Jesus' eternal glory, it cost him the cross, and it cost him the full wrath of God being put down upon him. And so I'm reminded. I'm reminded of the words that Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 16. When he said this, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. And uh, you know, I used to referee basketball. and, And I remember going to one of those yearly training classes and you go to those yearly training classes and it's, it's, it's funny to do this. You know, you're around a bunch of uh, guys primarily and they want to prove to each other how much they know and how much the other person doesn't know. And so, uh, and it's, it's, it's funny to watch. But, but one year, the guy teaching the class said, hey, uh, um, I want to tell you this story about this one official. He was in his second year of officiating basketball and he gets assigned a 7th and 8th grade girls basketball game. And so if you've, if you've done you know, basketball or if you've had a kid play that, you know those games are usually played together. And, and so, and, and not to, you know, make things sound horrible, but sometimes 7th and 8th grade girls basketball games are, are slow and they're, they're hard to do and, and you're blowing the whistle more often than not and there are traveling violations and double dribbles and all these things going on. Well, anyway, this young man shows up for that, that game. And he is very meticulous in everything he does. He calls that game like he's working a college basketball game. And then after the game, some guy walks up to him and says, listen, I'm the assigner for Big Ten basketball games. And I figure if you'll take this much time to be this prepared for a 7th and 8th grade girls basketball game, if you'll come and work with us for a while, we'll get you prepared and you'll start doing college basketball games. And, and he's a Big Ten basketball official now because he took a seventh and eighth grade girls basketball game seriously. And so when I think about the gifts and everything that God has given to us, I go, I don't want to clean a toilet. I don't want to teach kids. I don't want to pass out flyers at a parade. I don't want to do these things. And they're there. The cross was not beneath Jesus. And therefore, whatever gift he's been given has been given to us is not beneath us. And so that's a reason we should use it. The final reason we should use the gift that's given to us is the impact of that gift, the impact of that gift. Verses 11 through 16, where he said he gave some as apostles and prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service uh, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we no lo- are no longer 
to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head that is Christ, from whom the whole body being joined together and held together by every joint supplies, according to the properly measured working of his individual part, of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. So friends, while the Lord has given each of us a gift of grace for the sake of the church, there are some that are gifted to lead, right? And, and God has designed the church that way. In this passage of Scripture, some people would point to this passage of Scripture and talk about the fivefold gifting of God. And, and, and I, I don't want to try to refute some of those things, but I, what I want, do want to do is, is look at those for a minute. Paul, Paul declares that there are some that are apostles, uh, these men had a significant place of importance for the body of Christ then and for the body of Christ today. Why? It was because of their connection with Jesus Christ. They walked with him. They heard his teachings. They saw his miracles. They were recipients of extraordinary promises. Sometimes as you're reading through God's word and specifically some of the promises that are connected with the Holy Spirit, if you do a careful reading of that, you'll see that those were directed toward those men. Right? And, and not only that, we have our scripture, the canon of scripture that we had, have. Men decided that the, those books were canonized because of the connection with the apostles or, or the writers, how they were connected with the apostles. And so this is extremely important. Not everybody can be an apostle. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 1, after uh, Judas was going to be replaced, and uh, Peter gave the qualifications for what an apostle would be, one who had been with them the whole time Jesus went in and out from the time of John's baptism until the time that he was taken up. And do you remember how many men qualified for that task? Two. Two. And, and, and Matthias, Matthias or Matthias was chosen for that role. So, so there were the apostles that were given to the church. And, and so 1 Corinthians 15, 8 and 9, Paul tells us this about himself. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles and not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. There were prophets. During the early days of the church, this was still needed. They communicated mysteries of God because they didn't have God's word. And so when you read back through the book of Acts, you'll see prophets showing up saying, Paul's going to be punished not to go to Jerusalem. There's going to be a famine. Here's what's going to take place. And, and these prophets show up to communicate the mysteries. And, and so they were even present when Paul and Barnabas was set aside uh, for the sake of answering the call to go on the mission field there in Acts 13.1. They were gathered together and praying when the Holy Spirit told them to set them aside. So... Uh, there were evangelists. There's a, a bit of confusion around exactly what this gift was, but these were men who traveled proclaiming what the apostles taught. Right? The apostles taught the doctrine. The, these men traveled and, and, and taught the apostles' doctrine. Uh, so uh, men like Apollos would have been uh, in this description. There are pastors and teachers, and, and these gifts are lumped together. And, and this does not mean that these men had to be the same person, but most likely they were. And Peter's message to the elders helps clarify what these men were to do. 1 Peter chapter 5. So therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, overseeing not under compulsion but willingly according to God 
and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness, not yet lording it over those allotted to you, being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you also will receive uh, the unfading crown of glory. Uh, teachers were charged with ensuring proper doctrine was, was made. Shepherds were the elders, the, the protectors of the body of Christ. And so here's the point Paul, Paul is making here. God has given the church leaders for a few reasons. And, and you dig down through that passage of Scripture, the first reason was that, that, that the body of Christ would be equipped for works of service. Right? That's the first reason. If we're fully to grasp what the Apostle Paul is declaring here, what this means is that each leader in a congregation is given for the purpose of, of equipping those in that congregation for works of service. And how often do we see that being the model that's followed in the body of Christ today? And listen, I think all of us are guilty for that not being the case. Uh, as preachers and as a preacher and sometimes elders, we find it a lot easier just to do things, right? Well, this needs to be done, so we're going to do it. And sometimes uh, uh, that expectation is there in a body of Christ for the preacher and the elders and the leaders to make sure that everything is done. So that they, they do ministry and, and we're there to support ministry. And, and sadly enough, that, that expectation is carried out. The members of the congregation are to be actively involved in the ministry of the congregation, Right? I was talking to a local church leader uh, who ministers at a church of about 300 people, and he told me this. And he said, our problem is, is that we're overstaffed. They, they, they were meeting budget, but barely. And then they had a problem, and then the preacher and the elders at this church knew that they had a problem because he said, uh, we're, we're so overstaffed, it's sometimes we're having a hard time with finances, but, but here's the problem. If we start getting rid of staff, then those services and cert that we have for people, they're going to go away, and then people are going to leave our church, and we're going to have struggles there. And, and that reality was there, and the reason that reality is created oftentimes is because there's a divide sometimes between the elders and, and leaders in the church and those who are sitting in the chairs and pews. Friends, the church is not going to succeed until each of us understand that each one of us have been given a grace from God for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. The leaders lead to equip members of each congregation for those works of service. Right? And each church will be blessed as Every individual member grabs a hold of that gift and decides, you know what, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm not going to expect anyone else to. And then the leaders of that congregation, understanding they need to equip people for that work. I'm reminded of the church I heard about in a wealthy community. They experienced growth for years. Uh, and so in order to meet that growth, they decided they were going to staff every possible thing that needed to be staffed. And then the economy dropped out from underneath this church and that, that whole area. And the preacher at that church became fearful that their church was going to suffer because they had to start letting go of staff members. And, and listen, uh, here's what happened. Instead, the people testified this. We're spoiled brats who've been waited on hand and foot by our paid staff. Now it's time for us to go to work. And not only did this church grow, but it strengthened family relationships. It drew in new members uh, into its ranks. And, and most of the professionals were gone. But getting the people involved in the work of ministry proved to be what that congregation and that community needed. Right? Because each one did what they were called to do. 
In my 26 years, uh, there's a sad truth that I've come to realize, right? And that sad truth is, is that most of the work is done by a handful of people. It's done by a handful of people. And it's not just preachers and elders. There are a handful of people that sprinkle in and do things. Friends, I wonder what would take place in each body of Christ if every single one of us understood, man, I've got a role. I've got a part to play. I'm not sure what it is yet, but each time there's a need, I'm going to say yes when I can say yes. Right? That's what I'm going to do. So when they're asked, yeah, preachers and elders are, are not guiltless, like I've said. And, and, and so uh, we should have the expectation of members in a congregation to be involved in ministry. And, and, and I've tried to do this in the past where somebody will come up to me and say, hey, uh, do you know why Sister Sally's not at church? And I've tried to say, I- I'm really not sure, but do you know why? You can call Sister Sally too. Hey, do you know what's going on with Brother Bob and why he's been absent from our grow group for a while? N- no, I don't, but, but have you called Brother Bob? H- have you checked on him? Y- you see, when that begins to take place, I think the church uh, will be blessed, and leaders are given for that reason. Uh, leaders are also given to ensure the church is being taught proper doctrine. Sadly, there's very little concentration on the ideas of proper doctrine being taught today, and, and it's tough. Man, it is tough. You, know, you, you get up here and you start talking doctrine, you get your classes start talking about doctrine, and, and then you know, invariably get people to say, well, we don't need doctrine, we need practical living. And, and therefore, doctrine gets ignored, but, but doctrine's where we get our living from, right? People are not looking for proper doctrine as much as they're looking for great youth programming, entertaining praise bands, cool hip preachers, and, and I thought about that when you guys are blessed there. <laughs> I wanted to see who was awake. So, uh, for socially aware congregations. So, so how do we know this is taking place? Well, take a look around our Christian landscape today. Take a look around. Sadly, we have churches that are more concerned with being affirming. We should love and care for everyone. But affirming towards sinful actions than they are about proclaiming the truth of God's word. Right? And, and even churches and Christian leaders, sadly, like Andy Stanley, who will open up his church platform and allow two men that are married to other men speak to God's people. And that's, that's sad. Uh, there's an idea floating around uh, in our own state right now. We have another issue to vote on, right? And I like to listen to sports radio. And so on sports radio, there's a commercial floating around from a so-called pastor that gets on there and says that the government, it sounds great for a few seconds, the government should keep their hands out of our personal decisions. Like, I agree. Stay out of my personal decision. And then it moves to this idea. Therefore, the government needs to get their hands out of abortion and even talking about that it's reproductive rights. And then we in the church are sometimes afraid to stand up and teach proper doctrine that every life matters to God and the life that begins in the womb is just as important as the one who ends in a tomb. Every life matters. 
And so we've got these realities and things taking place. And without strong leaders in the body of Christ who will ensure proper doctrine is being proclaimed from our pulpits and in our classrooms and in our grow groups, the body of Christ becomes a group of people who are tossed around by every wind and every doctrine and every cunning, cunning deceit that the enemy wants to throw at us. And, and friends, here's the, the reality to this. And we're so afraid sometimes to get involved in these things because of the world telling us that they're, we're going to be canceled we're going to be canceled anyway. The Bible tells us that as the end draws near, it's going to get worse and worse for us. So, so why not make sure that you have a church that's filled with leaders that are going to proclaim God's word and expect other people to do so because teaching proper doctrine matters. Right? It matters. It's tough. We need to do it in love. We need to do it in love. So in love, we need to be willing to say, no, it's not reproductive rights. It's the murder of an innocent child, and let us, can we help you get away from that? No, it's not love conquers all. It's a sin that will cost you an eternity in hell. Can I tell you the truth in love? We've got to be willing to do so. In the letter to the American church, Eric Metaxas writes about the Barman and the Manhattan Declarations. Anybody ever hear of these, the Barman and the Manhattan Declarations? So the Barman Declaration was the first took place in Germany, and, and, and there was uh, 3,000 pastors that decided that they were going to sign a declaration and send it to the Nazi party. Uh, they were hoping that the other 15,000 pastors would sign this declaration and send it to the Nazi party, saying the Nazi party should keep their hands out of the church, but only 3,000 signed it. 12,000 decided to, to kind of stay in the middle, and another 3,000 decided that they were going to be enthusiastic supporters uh, of the Nazi party. And I wonder, I wonder what would have happened in human history if all 18,000 pastors in Germany would have signed that Barman Declaration and telling the Nazis to keep their hands out of the church and to allow religious liberties to keep being practiced. I wonder if they wouldn't have been able to stand up more to the atrocities that took place. Well, in our own country, back in 2009, spearheaded by Charles Colson, he sought to unite Christian leaders on some foundational standards of morality that, that would, uh, they would make against the state. For example, the state could not force medical professionals to perform abortions or to do anything that might violate their religious liberties. The state could not force anyone to violate their biblical view regarding marriage and between a man and a woman. And if the state did attempt to uh, force those uh, uh, violations of conscience, uh, we were obligated to practice civil disobedience. And in the document cited Martin Luther uh, King Jr.'s letter to the Birmingham jail to this end, right? Uh, Colson was surprised at the men who refused to sign this. And interestingly enough, I just read through that declaration this week again, and one name that was missing was Andy Stanley's. So, when you don't stand for truth, you fall for lies. So if God's word is not being proclaimed, then you must make sure it is, and the leaders must make sure it is. And if your leaders won't, then you need to find new leaders or find a new church. It's a sad reality. Finally, uh, leaders are given to bring unity and maturity. So how does this happen? Each member of the body of Christ will use the gift that's been given to them. Right? So those who have been given gifts of service will greet folks when they enter. You'll open your homes and fam uh, to family and friends for the sake of gathering with believers to hear God's word being proclaimed. Man, and there'll be no end to your hospitality. 
I'm not going to say anything because I didn't ask for 100% permission for this, and some might know what I'm talking about. But when we have people in our own congregation right now that just built a ramp to their house so that people could come. So I, I don't know if you've built a deck or a ramp recently. That's not cheap. And the whole reason they did that is so that it wouldn't keep anybody from coming into their home. Man, that's hospitality. So we'll look for ways to earn a right to share the gospel. Look for ways to encourage those who are leading well in the body of Christ and those who are using gifts. And those who have been given those gifts to teach will teach, right? You'll start a Bible study in your home. You'll start a Bible study at work at your lunchtime. You'll, you'll answer the call to serve in youth ministry by teaching class. You'll lead well in the body of Christ, ensuring that proper doctrine is being held. You'll take a look around and you'll find a young man and a young woman who's just given their life to Christ and you'll decide, you know what, God has, has given me this opportunity to mentor them. Right? So, so this is needed because when we use these gifts and leaders make sure these gifts are being used, maturity takes place in the body of Christ. And, and when maturity takes place in the body of Christ, growth happens. We all have a responsibility in the body of Christ. And Paul, he started off this uh, section of scripture with this challenge. So I want to end this two-part sermon with this challenge where Paul wrote these words and and to that church there and to us today sitting right here in the Milford Church of Christ. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Friends, we call ourselves disciples. Do we act like it? Do we, use, do we fight for the unity in the body of Christ? Do we use the gifts that have been given to each one of us for the sake of the body of Christ? If we will, the church will be blessed. God will move, and we'll see great things happen. But the key to that is if we will. If we will. Will we? Father, thank you for the love and grace you give us in Christ and the opportunities we have to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And, and even as we come to your word at times and we, and we find these unpleasant and challenging reminders to us to, to look into our souls and our hearts and our lives and, and to begin to ask those questions about, uh, am I acting like a disciple of Christ? Is, is the unity of the body of Christ important to me? Is, is the gift that God has given me through his spirit, am I, am I using it for the sake of the body of Christ or am I using it for my own glorification or just not using it at all? Lord, Lord I pray your spirit will do his work in each of our hearts and, and give us those gentle reminders if the gentle reminder is what, what's needed. And if it's not a gentle reminder, Lord, I, I pray your spirit brings into our souls uh, points of uncomfort that cause us to move, that cause us to surrender, that cause us to see uh, just how committed you were to us through the cross. Therefore, calling that same commitment from us toward you. So, Lord, help each of us to allow your spirit to search our hearts and minds. Help each of us to individually answer the question that we need to collectively answer together. Are we walking worthy of the calling that you've given us in Christ? If not, if not, Lord, give us the courage to repent right now. Give us the courage to stand up and do what you've called us to do. 
Lord, help us to see you move in a miraculous way. We love you. We pray these things in your son's most holy name. Amen.